big shout out this morning. God bless all the truck drivers carrying that vaccine all over the country, Torg. No kidding. They might get hijacked. I well, they got it, GPS on them, so. I saw it leave the warehouse yesterday morning, and it was pretty moving. Everybody applauded up and down the streets when the trucks were filing out of the Pfizer warehouse. Nice. Nice. Do you get free do you get free vaccine if you you're driving the truck? <laughs> Can you hook me up? <laughs> Dr. Murray Cohn's with us. Have you seen what it's like out there, Murray? With the CDC over twenty years infectious disease specialist, and he's the guy we talk to about he's this. He's our guy. Dr. Cohn, what's up? Morning, sir. Morning. Hey, good morning to all of you. Hope everybody's safe and well. Dr. Cohen, do you think the government has a little uh, public relations, a messaging challenge with the vaccine getting out there? Well, it's more than a messaging challenge. Uh, the whole thing has taken on such ridiculous political you know, uh, mm-hmm. tones. Um, I think we're going to have a lot of problem with this rollout, but it's not as it's not as big a problem as not having the vaccine. By the way, I, I, need, I need to, first of all, make very clear, I have never made a dime on COVID-19. I'm retired. You, uh, <laughs> you heard us I earlier, huh? <laughs> I, I get my pension whether I'm lying on the beach or working hard to try to save people. So, so what do you think, of, though? What do you think of a Bill Gates coming on TV and spreading doom and gloom? Um, well, I don't think he was spreading doom and gloom. I think he was actually he was probably correct. Um you know, he actually has become quite an expert in health matters and specifically uh, vaccine and COVID-19 matters. You know, he's the he's the richest man in the world, I think, probably still. I heard him once on an interview. Somebody said, well, what do you worry about? And he kind of looks dumbfounded. And he goes, well, I don't worry about anything. Why would I be worried about anything? Imagine that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. Gee, I'd really like to know what that's like. Yeah. <laughs> he, has, he has devoted, you know, his his money largely to, you know, medical and health care issues. And, and he's a smart guy. Uh, he got into this very early. He did one thing early on that, that's the reason that we are moving so quickly to get this vaccine out. Vaccine manufacture is is not just like, uh, you know, changing a, a factory line because the lines on the fenders are different, you know, for the next model car. Uh, it's pretty complicated. So you have to have very specialized factories. And very early on, he built, I think, seven factories um specific for vaccine manufacturing. He said the first seven that get licensed can have them so we can move it out faster. Are you uh, are you surprised? I mean, let's go back to May uh, where are you surprised that we are getting the vaccine before the end of this year? No, I think I told you when you asked me to guess earlier, I said, uh, you know, it could be uh, uh, possibly Thanksgiving, but probably by Christmas. Okay. And yet it so, is the fastest ever approved in the history of this country, right? I mean, you can understand people's hesitancy to to jump on board, at least initially, at least initially. Well, let me address that and maybe make people feel okay. a little more comfortable. Um, and I'll kind of elaborate on things we've talked about, gosh, many, many months ago. Um, I, I was pretty confident when I when I said it would be, you know, Thanksgiving or Christmas. Uh, and the reason is we weren't starting from scratch. All of the other viruses that, that we've had to make vaccines for, ah. uh, you know, the, the state of virology science and I think back to smallpox which we eliminated by 1984 um, we didn't have anywhere near the kind of laboratory equipment to do virus studies that we have now in fact most of that is a result of what I call the space program from the AIDS campaign going back to the early 80s so much money was put into the fight against AIDS that we developed an entire new science of virology studies so 
so developing a vaccine against the virus now, first identifying the virus, learning all about the, the virus's molecular and biochemical structures, is, is a totally different game than has happened in the past. So that's part of it. The other part of it is we weren't starting from scratch because of SARS back in 2003. SARS woke us up as the first time that there was really a serious coronavirus, that particular genus of, of, uh, of biology that caused serious human harm. And so it was pretty clear if there's one, there's going to be more. So we started doing a whole lot of coronavirus work. And we already had um, happening in laboratories around the world a lot of work to develop um, uh, livestock vaccines because there's a, a lot of livestock uh, coronaviruses that could be deadly as well. So this, the shuttle, the, the somewhat subtle shift to the, the human uh, vaccine on this particular virus was a way head start of anything that had ever been done before. And finally, um, you're never going to hear me give much of a shout out to the Chinese. Uh, those lion but they did one thing right, and we are now feeling that with these uh, early development vaccines. Early in January, uh, the institute in Wuhan, which you know first announced that they'd even isolated the virus, published in the open scientific literature what the genome looked like, you know, exactly what the genetic code was, you know, the roadmap to this virus. And so scientists all over the world then started working with that. Um, so, and that, in fact, uh, I read some stuff from the, uh, the German couple who were the, the main inventors of this Pfizer vaccine. The inventors in that laboratory was over in Germany, but that was just a little startup. Yeah. Uh, they needed the power of a big uh, pharmaceutical company to actually uh, get it up and running in a hurry. So if, if with Pfizer. Dr. Cohen, if somebody uh, like for for us, for anyone out there listening, we understand the frontline workers, of course, are going to get these first deliveries. They're getting uh, here at Ohio State as early as today, tomorrow. Uh, at least the deliveries will be arriving there. But the bottom line for anyone listening is if you have no underlying conditions and you are not elderly, realistically, we're probably looking at guys like us, what, June, probably, as far as getting, uh, having the option of taking the vaccine? Yeah, I think summer's yeah. a reasonable bet. Yeah. Um, and the question that I get a lot is, you know, when is life going to be normal? And I say, well, you know, what exactly is normal? Well, for starters, the first obvious thing that's not normal is everybody's wearing masks, and we didn't used to do that unless we were over in uh, Japan or something. So I think we've got to count on wearing masks at least for another year. And that's even, with, even the with the vaccine. Even with the vaccine. And and the reasons are, well, first of all, it's, uh, they call it 94% effective, which is a little bit of a misnomer, by the way, a little geeky science. So that's, that's what we call an odds ratio. They really haven't measured the effectiveness of the vaccine. They had, out of all of the thousands of people in the studies, you know, out of 100 that actually of the study sample population that got COVID, you know, six of them had had the vaccine and the other 94 didn't. So they call that 94 percent you know, odds that the vaccine is what uh, protected them. That's a close approximation. But at any rate, that's still a lot of people. We're talking 300 million people in this country. So the 6 percent that aren't, the virus just doesn't take just normal biology, everybody responds differently to a vaccine. Vaccine doesn't take, that's going to be a lot of people still circulating, and we don't know who they are. We also aren't going to be um, vaccinating anybody under the age of 19, because that was the, the, 
the approval rate for the studies that were done. So they've started new studies now for, uh, for kids under yeah, yeah. But we don't know how much virus is going to be circulating in in the kids and the young adults. And uh, of course, that's been a problem all along. We've we've known they haven't gotten sick very much, but we don't know how communicable they've been in passing the virus along. So there's still going to be a big population that uh, that is not protected, that is not immune. And then there's, um, uh, as you guys pointed out, I think when you were uh, talking about the Bill Gates story, um, you know, what happens in Central Asia and Central Africa, disease-wise, matters. It matters for us in this country. And I still think that a large segment of our population has not figured that out. Um, the viruses do not, they're not respectful of, of uh, political boundaries, uh, and they travel fast. So as long as we still have commerce and, and transport going on, we're going to continually be exposed as long as there's people in the world that have this virus, yeah. as infectious as it is. So, so yeah, you still have to be wearing masks, um, and, and you don't know right away when you if you've been vaccinated that you're one of the 94 odds, you know, that uh, that are protected or the, you know, six odds that are not. Now, there is a way to tell. I haven't heard much talked about. I've read some in the literature, but not a whole lot. It kind of surprises me. One way we tell if a vaccine takes, for instance, if you're a healthcare worker and OSHA law requires that you be given the hepatitis B vaccine so that if you're exposed to somebody else's blood and you've got hepatitis B, you won't get infected. Um, you take a test a certain number of months after that, an antibody tests, to check your blood level of the antibodies against the hepatitis B to make sure that the virus took. Um, there's a lot of viruses, vaccines. Um, for instance, the, you know, the whooping cough that we're getting now as adults. You can take a test for your, your antibody level in your blood to see if you're still protected or if you need to get a booster shot. So I haven't heard much said about that part of, you know, the back end of vaccine technology. What are we going to be doing to test people for antibodies to make sure that they, in fact, are and remain protected? We also still don't know, even though we we know that you get some, probably six months worth at least, maybe a year's worth of immunity from this vaccine. It could be like the flu, where it, it wanes and you have to get a shot every year. We don't know that yet. All right, Dr. Murray. There's just, a, there's just a lot of reasons, you know, that and solidarity, you know, show you're true American, wear a mask and protect everybody else. Yeah, Dr. Murray Cohn's with us over 20 years with the CDC, infectious disease specialist. Uh, two-parter on the vaccine. One of our health czars came out last week and said you could still, uh, even with the vaccine, you could still spread COVID. And then how long are the side effects? Because we had some listeners email us today. Hey, could you ask them when you get the vaccine, how long are the side effects? So that's a two-parter. Well, sure. Well, I'll do the second part first because um, I know people are really worried about that. Side effects will happen. They don't just do happen. They will happen uh, always from injection of a biological because your body is immediately recognizing it as foreign and trying to fight it. Now, from and I, I know that you guys know I was you know, more involved with Pfizer than with Moderna or AstraZeneca uh-huh. or any of the others. So I know that in the, in the Pfizer studies, they did not have a single case of anything that they deemed a serious side effect. I'm not sure what the definition was, but it was probably one week. Uh, and it was probably something that actually made you sick as opposed to aches and pains or a headache 
or fatigue, you know, some of those kind of early syndromes of having any virus were the side effects. So they were all minor. Uh, it's, I don't even call that a side effect to me. To me, it's like that's confirmation that my body's paying attention. Ah, okay. I'm glad I got, I got, I'm glad I got this. So there were not serious side effects. Side effects, though, are, are the problem in vaccinology. Uh, and, you know, I think we talked before, Christy, you talked about um, getting the original swine flu vaccine back in 1975. Right. The problem with side effects there. You know, when you think about a mass scale vaccination program like we have now, a 0.1% side effect, and I mean something serious like Guillain-Barre that happened back in 1975. You know, if it was even as little as a tenth of a percent of cases had a side effect, well, that's a thousand cases in a million. <clears throat> and we're talking about 300 million Americans potentially that can get vaccinated. That would be 300,000 side effects. That's not acceptable. So that's why they're so careful mm. in these studies to be so close to perfect. Yeah, all right. And and, and 94% effective really isn't that close to perfect. But I, got, I got one for zero, you here. But zero side effects. Yeah. It's perfect. Okay, go on. With the holidays, Dr. Cohen, upon us here, how long after contracting the virus and full recovery, because we we all know now people that have had it and then fully recovered, are they safe to be around uh, this holiday season? How long if once you've recovered before you can get it and spread it again? Do we even know? Well, all we've got is the CDC guidelines. Um which they just reduced, I think, for political reasons, not scientific reasons. But um, you know that if somebody had it, they have to have two negative tests 10 days after the, the last expression of any um, symptoms. And then you, then you can say they've cleared the virus. So at that point, yes, they've cleared the virus. They would be safe to be around. Okay. But how long does that immunity last is what he said. Three months, six months. I had a kid that in last March, April had it fully recovered. You know, he's he's been fine. He didn't even have he had he tested positive and he was sick and it was very minor. And then he recovered. And I'm just wondering, do I have to have him tested before I bring him in the house this Christmas? Well, I, I'm only aware of maybe five reported cases worldwide of people who were reinfected. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good to uh, yeah. know. So, good. I hope so, my 12-year-old I mean, daughter's listening. Yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't. I mean, it happens. Again, this is biology. It's not an exact science. But um, it, it's you know you, you can't live good. <laughs> you can't live by yeah. that kind of exceptions. So yeah, I would say that. You're safe to be around. We're going to test him for STDs, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dr- Give him a blood alcohol test. <laughs> hey, Dr- yeah. I, I kind of have a two-parter, too, in this. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of studies saying, well, if you had COVID, you got to worry about long-term effects to your body that you might know of you've probably you've heard that obviously right the long so, haul yeah the long yeah the long haulers right yeah. so if you had covid and you worry about long-term effects what do you do as a person out there you just wait till they happen do you go to the doctor i mean how do you know if uh in my case i was asymptomatic pretty much i did all the right things i got it but what do i worry yeah, about had it doc but but what do i if they say well it could hurt you long term what do those people do just sit and wait Worry is not part of my medical expertise. But you know what I'm saying. I'm just using a word. You're right. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just kind of teasing. Um, 
I, I really wouldn't worry about it. I mean, if they're going to happen, they're going to happen, and you're going to know it. And we're not talking about stuff that you feel perfectly fine, you know, for months or years, and then all of a sudden, you know, you crash. Uh, now, that's what might happen, particularly some of these kids playing football. I've talked with you about before, where they can get this myocarditis heart and a yeah. large heart, and you're going to end up, you know, having, uh, you know, heart attacks later in life. That could happen. But when we talk about the long haulers, we're talking more about the fatigue, the shortness of breath. Okay, yeah. Um, the inability to, you know, actually, you know, move along. You feel like all your joints are stiff. Um, and that just continues. You know, if you're, if you're not having those now, months after having, you know, had a negative test, after having previously a positive test, then you're not a long hauler. Okay, because fatigue was my only, I got the chills, I was hot, so I got a test, and I felt fine. I drank like a six-pack of beer. Then like six days later, I got severe fatigue for like three days, and then I was I was fine, but the fatigue was real. That could have been from the six-pack of beer, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I was lucky. I was, I was, I was super lucky. Hey, if, and, and we've talked before, we hate, you know, not hate, but everybody has a study. But I'm sure you've seen the one with the Philadelphia Children's Hospital where they say all kids with COVID had elevated biomarkers were related to blood pressure, uh, blood vessel damage. Have you heard that, where they say all kids have this who get COVID? Yeah, I actually did a, uh, a program back in my hometown when I was, when I was uh, home before they reopened Panama uh, recently uh, with a pediatric cardiologist uh, who himself became infected at a children's hospital. Uh, in Fort Worth, Texas. And we talked a lot about, you know, the kids there that were showing up sick. Um, you know, most of the kids don't show any symptoms. So the ones who do in and of themselves are, are kind of outliers. And some of those have, in fact, been very serious. Um, I don't know what the parameters of the Philadelphia medical report were, um, but obviously that's a place that's capturing the sickest of the sick as patients. So what they're seeing are not going to be common effects. They're I got gotcha. you. Seeing the most of the uncommon effects. They're I got going to be you. seeing the worst of the worst. Okay. Yeah. Because I because you little worry about because it says all kids in the report and then you're like yeah right. all kids what and yeah. then yeah you make a great point there hey uh with uh Redfield coming out I'm sure you read the British study they did last week about kids and COVID and then Biden saying hey in a hundred days we got to get kids in school when I get office uh kids get COVID. Uh, that's a fact. Teachers get COVID. I think they're getting it from the outside. But for kids, when can they safely go back to school? We've been talking about adults, but when can kids go back to school? God, that's that's been the toughest one all along. There's so many reasons that kids need to be in school, uh, and I'm a big proponent of that. You know, uh, we've got to be safe. Uh, I'm actually more worried about the adults that are in the schools, the teachers and the workers. I hope that uh, every state will will brand them as essential workers and put them at the head of the line, uh, which will make it a little smarter for opening schools. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of glad in that sense that I'm retired and I'm not in a position to have to make those calls. Yeah. Because it really, it's, it's a really um, uh, losing proposition. Whatever you do is going to be wrong for some people. I think across the board, by and large, uh, uh, from what I understand, my wife's an educator. She talks about this a lot. Um, kids need to be in school, and so schools need to be investing in, in all of the kinds of physical separations that, that we've seen uh, effectively used in some places and, and keep uh, as many kids as possible uh, in the online or alternating online versus live uh, classroom. 
uh, you know, and do what we can to open the schools safely. But I'm a big proponent of opening the schools. All right, Dr. Cohen, thank you so, so much. Have a wonderful holiday down there in Panama. And uh, boy, we'll talk we'll to get, you next year. Yeah, we'll get into 2021. And I'm looking forward to that, and I can promise you that it will still be 88 degrees and 12 hours of sunshine a day. Oh, well, you, you <laughs> be quiet you. now. Good for you. Thanks, Dr. Cohen. Thanks, Doc. Everybody be safe. Happy holidays. To so you. long.